0: Well, in the name of Jesus Christ, the, the risen Savior, uh, the Lord of all the earth, welcome to uh, Blessings Christian Church this morning. My name is uh, Greg Davids, and I'm one of the pastors here. So glad that you are here. If this is your first or second time, uh, two blessings, a special welcome to you. So glad you could be here. Maybe you're joining online. So glad you could join in that way. We hope to see you in person uh, as, soon as, as soon as possible, as soon as that you're able but just a welcome to, uh, to one and all. Uh, there are ushers with blue t-shirts here today at the door. You'll see them. Maybe you have questions about blessings. Maybe you have questions about Christianity, Christian faith. Uh, we would love for you to speak to one of them or to myself uh, uh, about uh, blessings, about Christian faith. would love to meet with you. There's also a card uh, in the back of many of the chairs and pews, a welcome card. And you could fill that out, pass it in to me or one of the ushers, and we'll get back to you this week. It would be great to sit down with you, answer any questions that uh, you may have. Pastor Bill is uh, preaching this morning over at uh, Mercy Church, where they're having their special service to become an independent uh, congregation. But uh, you will have a chance to connect with him as well. You can also email uh, questions just to info at uh, blessingshamilton.ca, and we'll get back to you as soon as uh, we can. Maybe you've come today with a need on your heart, maybe uh, you've been, call yourself a Christian for a long time, maybe you're just new to Christian faith, um, checking things out, maybe you're seeking today, whatever your situation is, wherever you are on uh, the spiritual journey that God has you on in your life, we are all, uh, are all spiritual people, uh, wherever you are in that journey, maybe you have a need or a concern or a joy that you'd like to uh, pray about with someone or have someone pray for you. And after the service, there'll be an opportunity by the purple prayer banner to come, just come up after the service and have an informal time of connection and prayer, uh, looking to God who loves us with an undying love, an unconditional, steadfast covenant love, just to come before Him and, and just pray with someone and be prayed for. I hope you take the opportunity to uh, do that if you wish. You can also email uh, request to prayer uh, team at blessingshamilton.ca. And we'll uh, be sure to remember your needs in prayer in the week ahead. Uh, One special announcement today is a wedding ban. I'll just read this for us, and I'll try not to uh, get the last names wrong, try to say these correctly. Uh, Forgive me if I do. Uh, The consistory announces that Isaac Teshke and Mackenzie Holzenbosch, how did I do, have indicated their intention to enter into the married state according to the ordinance of God, they desire to begin this holy state in the name of the Lord and to complete it to His glory. If no lawful objection is brought forward, the ceremony will take place, the Lord willing, on Saturday, September 24th at Grace Christian School in Millgrove, Ontario, Pastor Bill Young officiating. As you're able, I invite you to stand for the call to worship. We read from the Psalms: Lift up your heads, O gates, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. Lift up your heads, O gates, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, He is the King of glory. What a gift and joy it is now to uh, lift up to God praises in songs. Let us lift up our hearts. One of the things that's part of every uh, service at Blessings in the Morning is a prayer of confession, uh, a prayer of asking, confessing our sins before God and asking for His forgiveness. Why do we do that? Well, it's something that we read in Scripture that is uh, part of our mandate, part of our obligation, part of the Christian life, part of being the body of Christ and family of God together. We read in James In fact, chapter 5 and verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And so one of the reasons we have this prayer of confession is a a corporateness within the body of Christ. Read also though in Psalm 32 how we are called to uh, confess our sins to the Lord our God who will hear us and will forgive us. So we have this horizontal sense Uh, praying for forgiveness, confessing our sins to God together. We also have this vertical sense. We are speaking to the Lord God, the creator of the ends of the earth, uh, who has given us uh, the way we ought to live, and we live in this human time, this human condition, where we are not as kind as we want to be. We're not as loving as we want to be, right? We're not as as Christ-like as we want to be. We're not as giving as we want to be. And so, uh, this is the human condition of, of sin, and the, and the good news of, of the gospel is that we're able to come to God in prayer through the work of Jesus Christ, confess our sins, and trust in His forgiveness. What a joy, what a privilege. So let us bow down, let us pray. Gracious God, how we thank You that You indeed are the God of love and justice. You are the God of compassion, mercy, and truth. We thank You and acknowledge This morning, in the presence of each other and in your presence by the power of your spirit, we acknowledge who you are, the eternal God, the one who's made all things, the one who knows all things, who plans all things, who sees all of time, the one who who was when there was nothing and who will be when time on this earth ends. And so we would in our hearts fall before you, we would humble ourselves before you, for we are, we are but dust, we are your creatures, we are the ones you've made. Lord, we acknowledge and confess that we've not lived in ways always that please you. In fact, we've said words that have hurt people, we've been quick to speak and quick to become angry. We've withheld uh, of our time and efforts and gifts from our neighbors. We've sinned against you and each other. And how we thank you, Lord, for the promise of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, that he has indeed borne the penalty of our sin, that he died on the cross as our substitute, that we because of our sin, deserve death, but that Jesus Christ himself has accomplished our redemption. So, Father, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that we may live in it, that we may be transformed and renewed, that you may sanctify us, make us holy in our living. We long to be a people dependent on you, looking to you, trusting in you, changed by you in your word, And so we thank you and we praise you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We respond with amazing grace. Testament reading today is from 1 Chronicles, and what we have in this passage is David with some of the priests uh, in a time of corporate worship and praise, uh, a very long prayer and praise to God in this chapter um, in the midst of God's people. And today's reading is at the end of that prayer where God's sovereignty, uh, God's power uh, is, is really emphasized, God's eternity is emphasized, And so 1 Chronicles chapter 16, 31 to 36, I'll invite forward Alyssa.
1: Scripture reading this morning is from 1 Chronicles 16, starting at verse 31. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, God our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Our New Testament reading this morning is uh, from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 10. I invite you, if you have a Bible, to open it, to uh, turn to that. It's near the if you're new to uh, Christian faith, uh, that's near the back of the Bible to the the right-hand side. One of the letters that we've been looking at now for a few weeks. In fact, we're spending six uh, Sunday mornings looking at just verses from Ephesians chapter 1. And I'll read these uh, verses for us now, Ephesians 1. 7 to uh, 10. In him, that is Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, how we thank you for your word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word endures forever. Wise is the person who builds their life upon the rock, who hears my words, says Jesus, and follows them. And Lord, we wish to be a people who are founded upon your word, immersed in your word. And so will you send your Holy Spirit to apply your word to our hearts and our lives in this time to guide the words that I speak, that we may be comforted, challenged, changed, that we may hear what you, eternal God, wish to say to us uh, this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen there's an old uh, paradox called the ship of Theseus. And the way that story goes is about a young man called, are you with me? A young man called Theseus. Is that how you say it? And he's sailing across the Mediterranean. He's got a ship. And uh, interestingly enough, as they're going on this trip, uh, want, they find out one of the boards on the ship is rotten, and so they pull out that board, throw it overboard, and put a new plank down the middle of the ship. They go a little bit further. Another board on the ship is got worms in it, for example. They pull up that board, replace it with a new one, and they continue on on their trip sailing until they find this plank, that plank, the next plank, until the end of the trip... Every single plank on the ship has been replaced, and it's built now out of entirely new wood. And the paradox question that has been asked uh, since that old Greek paradox was introduced is, uh, how do we understand ourselves, and is that ship fundamentally the same object that it uh, now, uh, as it was when it first left the port? (laughs) How do we understand the fundamental essence of something, a ship like that? There's other similar paradoxes uh, along this line. One's called the grandfather's axe, and uh, someone's, you know, hammering, splitting wood all the time. Some people may enjoy that. If you're splitting wood, by the way, make sure your feet are in the right place, not right down the middle. My father taught me that. But the paradox is what if you replace the top of that axe head and put a new top on? Is it still the same axe? What if you replace the handle and have a new, is it still the same axe that you bought down at the store? This uh, set of paradoxes have been important for people who are over time now who have been thinking about what it means to be a person, what it means to understand our identity. And um, the fact of the matter is that in the times we live in, (laughs) there are... Things in society, there are things in your life and in my life that in a way cause the planks of our souls to be ripped up and replaced, a need for replacement for new things. Forces in life cause changes in us. External forces cause changes in us. Loss and grief and difficulty and trials can cause changes in us. The social imaginary of our time as thoughts change in society widely can cause changes in us. And so the sermon series that we're looking at uh, through Ephesians chapter 1 in these six weeks is really around our identity and seeking and understanding our identity, not first in ourselves or in the things around us, but seeking our identity in God's eternity. And so as we look at these verses, uh, verses 7 to 10, I'll invite us to consider uh, three parts of this. Number one, redemption accomplished. Number two, grace lavished. And number three, plan made known. So let's just consider these and we'll We'll look at some aspects of how we understand ourselves and who God calls us to be as we walk through these verses. So the first verse, uh, I'll read it for us. In Him, chapter verse seven, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So let's just look at that verse a little bit. Uh, look at that word redemption. Notice that it says we have redemption. not something that we earned redemption or we will have redemption, but we, we have redemption now. Those who find themselves in Jesus Christ, it's something already accomplished, already done by God through Jesus Christ. It's not something we achieve, but something that we receive. That was one of our identity keys from the very first sermon in this series. Now that word redemption is a really important word for us. And in fact, in the New Testament, there's different words in Greek that are used for this word redemption. One of the words means simply to to buy out of the marketplace something, to purchase something. And that goes back to uh, this Old Testament idea of, you might remember the book of Ruth and how Ruth was, 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 was had a kinsman redeemer who in a sense there was a, there was a financial transaction related to land and buying back something that was in her family and that caused her... Uh, to be, her whole situation, to be redeemed, purchased. The second word means even more than that. It means to be purchased out of the marketplace. Uh, That might be a a slave, for example, in ancient times. Uh, Might be purchased, not just purchased from marketplace, but pulled out of the marketplace, never to return again as a slave to that marketplace, to be bought again. But the third word used in the New Testament for redemption or to be redeemed is an even stronger word, and it has the sense of uh, not just being purchased or bought, and not just being purchased or bought out of a marketplace, never to return to that place, but it has the full sense of being uh, set free, being loosened, uh, being purchased out of a marketplace never to return and even more than that your whole status changes who you are changes who you belong to changes forever in that sense uh, apolustrosis this word is not just purchased out of the marketplace as a slave but actually you're no longer a slave at all your status changes and what's interesting is the writers of the New Testament pull on these words and they have these Old Testament backgrounds that help us understand what they're talking about. And this third understanding of redemption really is rooted uh, in one of the most famous and fundamental stories in the Old Testament. And I'm just going to read uh, from Exodus. The story is the story of the Exodus. And can we just put up on the screen Exodus 6, verse 6? Here is the Old Testament understanding of redemption in this sense. Can I read those? I can read them just. Oh, I'm getting old. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. They're no longer slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will take you as my own people. No longer is the status slave, but you are my own people. That's an ontological change there. And I will be your God. In Him we have redemption. Now this verse and this understanding of the Exodus and redemption helps us understand, I think, what it is we are redeemed from, uh, what, as, 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 as people who look to Christ. What are we redeemed from? We may not like to hear this, but we are redeemed from, I think, as we look at this verse in Exodus, we are redeemed from slavery. And in fact, we see in John chapter 8, verse 38, that... Uh, that, we, that, that whoever commits a sin, uh, verse 34, John chapter 8, whoever, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. How often do we think of ourselves as slaves? How often do we think of ourselves as tied, owned, uh, and, and at that level of ownership and commitment, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin? Each one of us, without Jesus Christ, uh, and we see this in our, our lives. If, if you say that you are not a slave to sin, if you, maybe you're just experimenting with Christianity right now and thinking about it, uh, if you say that you are not a slave to sin, that sin does not control your life on your own without the power and help of God, then maybe we should go ahead for a week and truly try to love our neighbor as ourselves, And love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And I think that if we try to love our neighbor as ourselves, I think what we'll discover is that after five minutes of trying to do that, we realize that the human heart is so bent on the inwardness and so bent on ourselves and our own uh, wishes and our own comforts that we'll find it almost, we'll find it impossible to truly follow that command fully and totally on our own. Why is that? The Bible says because our hearts, we are slaves to sin. And the good news of redemption, the incredible news of Christ's work is that His work on the cross, His giving of His life changes that relationship between us and sin between us and god we are no longer slaves to sin but we find ourselves instead crucified with christ colossians 1 we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son whom he loves there's a change that happens in us because of the redemption accomplished by jesus christ sin is still at work but we're no longer bound to its power Have to follow it. The outcome of redemption in this verse, uh, back to Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verse 7, is the forgiveness of sins. Is the forgiveness of sins. One of the things that can steal our identities, one of the things, one of the ways of thinking about our identity is when we find ourselves up against guilt and shame because of sin. And that's one of the things about the human condition and one of the things that Satan wants us to believe. When we sin, there is no hope. We hear those voices, you're not worth it. You know, you're nothing. You deserve to be treated badly for what you've done. There's no hope for you. You should be ashamed of yourself because of what you've done. And the devil wants us to repeat that over and over in our minds until how we see ourselves and how we see God is all warped uh, against God's truth and God's way. The forgiveness of sins is the gift that we have because of what Christ has done for us on the cross as far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed his, our transgressions from us. Have you heard in your life the pardoning voice of God the Father? Have you experienced in your life the sweetness of forgiveness, of having that burden lifted from your heart and from your mind? And we say (laughs) on the Sunday night service here at Blessings, we say over and over again, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, one of the most amazing lines that the human heart can absorb and can take. You know, I remember many years ago, counseling a family, and they were going through some things in their in their lives, some pain and some trials, and uh, there was a situation in that family where one of the members was hiding something from other people in the family, and they had kind of this other part of their life that they... Knew was contrary to God's way, and uh, they were they were hiding that from one from the other, and you could see kind of the, the effects of of that on this person's heart and that family heavier and heavier, uh, kind of more and more ashamed and ashamed, and what a privilege it was for me to be in that setting when it all came out in the open. <laughs> in that family, and the one family member who had been hiding this part of their life asked for forgiveness from the others. And you know, there were tears of joy, and there was a weight lifted. There was a grace there that was palpable. And the outcome of redemption here by the grace of God is that each of us, in our relationship with God with the Almighty God, with God the Father through Jesus Christ, each one of us is invited through the redemption of Christ to taste the sweetness of that sin, to let His grace, mercy, and truth be truer to us than all of our shortcomings. With God, nothing is impossible. Redemption accomplished. Number two, we see grace lavished. Grace lavished. What do we see here? I'll read this for us. We have redemption, it says, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on
2: us.
0: (laughs) How often do we think of God being short on grace? How often do we think of God being a God who's stingy, kind of upset at us, kind of mad all the time, a little bit angry? How often do we see God as the God who is reluctant to provide mercy or help or truth? Paul wants us to understand something here, that God is the God who has lavished grace on us. All the blessings in chapter 1 of Ephesians, and if you see this, verse, uh, verses 3 to 14, I just want to quickly take a minute and put my finger on, on these. Just think of all these major blessings and goodnesses that God has given. Praise be to the God and Father who blessed us, in verse 3 and verse 4, who chose us in Him before the creation of the world. Verse 5, who predestined us for adoption to his praise of His glorious grace. In 7, we have redemption, uh, praise of sins. Verse 8, He lavished on us. There it is. In verse 9, He made known the mystery of His will. Verse 11, it goes on, we're chosen and predestined again. In verse 12, we have the live for the praise of His glory. In verse 13, we hear about being marked by the power and promise of the Holy Spirit. All of these blessings, all of these unbelievable blessings that That God has has lavished upon the Ephesians. Paul is able to describe in this incredible, soul-thrilling kind of kaleidoscope of the gospel. And how often do we just kind of make God small in the situations in which we live? He's lavished on us His grace. That is the Greek word for over and above. To abound. To be in surplus. It's the same word, if you remember the story of the bread, Jesus feeding the crowds and uh, the disciples going around and picking up all the leftover bread that was there. There was, there was too much bread for the people and they were put back in the basket. There was a super abundance of bread. The same word in that story, if you remember that story. This is the, the richness that God lavishes upon us, one thing after the other. And we've got to ask, how is it that Paul had this insight. Remember Paul, we explained him in the first part of the sermon series, who he was, his background. But how is it that Paul as a person had this insight that God has lavished super abundantly his grace and love upon humanity through Jesus Christ? Well, remember Paul. He was uh, dead set against the way. He was dead set that he was right and that those who followed Christ were wrong, that it was an untrue Way to live. What happened to him on the road to Damascus? Remember that story. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself appeared to him and said, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" And Paul, Paul went. Saul went blind, and the Lord told him to go to the house and stay and stay there on that road. And in that moment, in that brightness, in that encounter with the risen Jesus Christ, something happened to Paul where he saw that all this was true. One of the most educated, accomplished, best family pedigree of anybody in the ancient Near East at the time who thought he was so right, realized that he was wrong. And that all of this that we read in Ephesians about being chosen and predestined and redeemed and loved and blessed, and filled with the Spirit, and given the Spirit, he realized all that was true. All the stuff he thought that he knew so well wasn't true. And all this truth of the gospel, this soul-thrilling kaleidoscope of the gospel, was true. It changed his life forever. You know, when it comes to our identities, do you have a sense of the superabundant love of God? What's your thinking like? Is your thinking kind of over here somewhere, or is there a sense that we know a God we can trust, that His goodness is not something we need to doubt, that His grace is sweetness right to my soul? The, the thinking is one of the hard things. And I think when it comes to our identity today, we need to be really uh thinking about our does that makes sense thinking about our thoughts that sounds a bit redundant joseph kepler in the 16th century put it this way he said you know part of the christian life part of being immersed in christ and growing in who god wants us to be he puts it way. he says we have to think after god's thoughts we have to think after god's thoughts and so that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's an application for us, isn't it? That's a challenge for us. Hopefully, that's an encouragement for us as we go through our lives and we consider who we are in God's eternity. Think about your thoughts and go after God's thoughts. So we have redemption accomplished. We have grace what? Grace what? Thank you. It's so nice when you talk, when you respond back, it's very good. Grace lavished. Wonderful news. And finally, we have plan made known, don't we? Plan made known. (laughs) Let me read these verses for us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. What a verse. Plan made known. Well, the first thing we understand about this verse is the idea and truth of revelation, isn't it? It says, he made known to us the mystery of his will. It's God who initiates. It's God who makes known, isn't it? We ourselves, in our own kind of situation and state as human beings, Ephesians later in chapter 4 says our minds are darkened, we ourselves in our own state are unable to make known the eternal things of God. It's God who makes these things known. He's the one who initiates. He's the one who reveals, it says, the mystery of His will. That is something that needs re- the mystery the idea of something needs to be told, something we cannot discover for ourselves. And the Ephesians and us, remember the Ephesians from the second part of the sermon series, live in a city in the ancient Near East, which is an incredibly pluralistic city, right? Remember Ephesians? They had this unbelievable uh, huge temple, four times the size of the Parthenon. That was their, 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 their main center, but also in the Greek and Roman world, there was a pantheon of gods that one might uh, live for, honor, give money to, look to for how they must shape their lives. And today we also live in this incredibly pluralistic society. Uh, And as we're thinking about our identities and who we are as people, it's it's a bit of a thing that we have to understand before we can make meaningful steps forward in terms of who we are. And one of the keys, one of the sort of lines, one of the understandings of living in a pluralistic society world is that um, all truths, you know, are, are true, right? That every axiom, that every thought, that every worldview that we see is equally true among others. And Paul is saying here to the Ephesians, and I think God says to us through his word that we need to understand that that is not true, that not all truths are equal. And especially in the sense of identity today, the truth that I find or seek inside myself, while much of it can be good and life-giving and important to understand, is is not the final truth, (laughs) right? You and I are not fountains of pure knowledge, Right, my soul is not a fountain of knowledge and life for how I must live my life. And last week we had a wonderful back and forth. Somebody was, I was saying Elsa, and then somebody out there was, I was saying Esther, somebody out there was yelling Elsa, and we were talking about this within the Disney realm, how this all works, and we quoted a famous song, which I was singing all week after that. But the but the but the but the idea here is is that um we can be deceived, right, by the advice and by the, the idea that, that I must follow my heart, right? That, that what is inside me and what I am feeling uh, has a level of, tr- of trustworthiness and veracity that is on the same level as the Word of God and the same level as the Scriptures, and that's one of the fundamental decisions that one has to make living in this world in this time is, is how do I see and how do I place the authority of the Bible in my life? Like are there times when I don't agree with how God is calling me to live or see myself um, and, and what I'm feeling in my, in my life and my heart? It's one of the worst bits of advice that we get, you know, follow our inner thoughts, follow our feelings completely and totally. Christianity is a revealed religion. It's a revealed, uh, it's, it's, it's part of the revelation of God. He made known to us the mystery of His will. We cannot have meaningful lives here in eternity without coming face to face that the most fundamental bit of our self-understanding comes from outside us. Well, what is God's plan that God reveals? It's an amazing verse at the end. All things reach your fulfillment. The plan is to be put into effect when all times reach your fulfillment, verse 10, and to bring to unity all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. To bring to unity all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That phrase for unity or bring to unity is a really long Greek word that I can hardly pronounce. I'm not going to try. But it's the same word that means to sum up or to gather together. In fact, uh, the Greeks, when they did math, I was a math teacher at one time in my life. I loved it. It was very simple. It was black and white. It was right or wrong. It was a lot of clarity there. But when Greek math, uh, when you learn math, you would sum up all the numbers this number, this number, this number. And on the bottom, you'd write, you know, the final sum. In Greek math, it was at the top. You'd have all these numbers, and the top, you'd have the sum. This idea of bringing unity to all things is God adding up all things, gathering in all things, summing up all things, meaning of all things. And and the fact of the matter is that the Ephesians and us live in this. Fractured world. We live in this fragmented world. We live in this world where there's entanglements and alienation. You know, this is my father's world, but yet we, we look at this world and we don't see harmony in our lives or in the universe or among nations. And, and so there's this there's this difficulty, there's this pain that we live in as people in this society. It's fragmented. It's fractured. Your soul is. My soul is. Our lives are fragmented by sin and by Satan. God's plan, Paul says, though, is for all things to be summed up under Jesus Christ. Look, God's bottom line for our lives is that all things will come to cohesion, to fullness, to rightness, in Jesus Christ. We're not talking about universalism. We don't have time to get into that. But in the end of time, we know that there'll be a time when Christ, that all things will be under Christ. We may be found in Christ or we may be found outside of Christ, but all things in heaven on earth will be under Christ. So it's an encouragement for us, I think, to ask where we find our lives first, right? Where we find meaning for our lives first. Outside of Christ is, is a wilderness. Outside of Christ, it's cold, it's, it's winter. But God's plan is that for us to know that in Jesus Christ, the one before him, every knee will bow one day when time is fulfilled. It is, it's summer, It's warmth. It's joy. You know, the world around us is fickle and changing. But in Jesus Christ is eternal joy, forgiveness, resurrection, hope of eternal life. Okay, so real quick, can we go to the end? Can I just sum up some of this stuff very briefly? Last time we ran out of time. Give me me two or three minutes just to sum this up. All right, so we're talking there now in in Ephesians. We have the uh, redemption accomplished, grace lavished, plan made known, our identity in God's eternity. We live in a... We can have two ways of looking at ourselves, self-determined or biblical. Self-determined ways of looking at ourselves. And I'm pulling out my... uh, Yeah, I'm really getting old. Self-determined is sometimes rooted in what's called expressive individualism. And I want to give you these points. Maybe you recognize them as a way of seeing ourselves today, a self-determined identity. Maybe, and here's some of the keys of, of a self-determined identity around the individual as the highest, that, that sometimes in society we hear, highest good is individual freedom. Traditions or received wisdom must be deconstructed. The world improves when individual freedom increases. The primary social ethic is tolerance of individual freedom and self-expression. Humans are inherently good. What are some of the key points of that of that philosophy in our world today? The problem with that philosophy, the self-determined philosophy, is that, as I said last week, and I got is it's in, it's incoherent, right? If we're looking fully to ourselves and to the individual, one day I might feel this, one day I might feel that, and they might bump up against each other, right? I might my 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 inner thoughts might not always agree. It's unstable. They change. Our inner thoughts, our inner notions change from season to season, time to time. It's a huge amount of pressure if you're living with yourself to build identity in a self-determined way. It's crushing pressure, very huge pressure. Why? Because you always have to be looking out there uh, around what others are doing outside of you and how you measure up and compare to that person to make sure that you have a unique enough identity to be meaningful for yourself. That's just pressure. And when you get people, I know it's going to be crazy, but I do it all the time. I just, I'm scrolling through Instagram to see how amazing people look and how things are just incredible in other people's lives. And I say, oh, man, I've got to just match up to all that. happens on so many levels. That crushing pressure, right? If I'm finding my identity source elsewhere, you're always under pressure. And that, that a self-determined identity also is very exclusive, Right, because you have to be different and better and more defined as an individual than somebody else around you. The biblical framework we're trying to emphasize here on these Sunday mornings this September is: can we look at ourselves with a with a, with a biblical identity, with a biblical view, and uh, a biblical view? Um, there might be a slide before that. Is you know, God is our Creator. We're creatures. We are sinners. We're not perfect. Yet by His grace, He forgives us. We're redeemed. There's a covenant God who loves us with a covenant love and draws us into that, invites us into that. There's a, there's, a, there's a fulfillment to the end of time that's meaningful. All of those things. And you'll see on the screens, you know, Paul sort of summarizes this biblical view of identity with these two verses. Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Wow. How's that for a way of seeing ourselves? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's the most important part of our self-understanding. Or Colossians, for you have died and your very life is hidden with Christ in God. Look, I want us to know that society worldviews, life's trials, life's pains. All of those things can get at us and lead us in an unhelpful direction for seeing who God has made us and who God wants us to be and who God is. And I hope that as we leave from here this morning and as we just think about our identity in God's eternity, we could just have our eyes on uh, Christ, Jesus Christ. Uh, I no longer live, but he lives in me. He is at the center of God's plan for history. My life will be fulfilled in his life. I would hope I'd invite us just to leave today with this image, this verse from Revelation, <laughs> where we see a vision of, of heavenly places. In heavenly times, it says, Revelation 7, verse 7, for the Lamb, for the Lamb of God, even Jesus Christ, is at the center of the throne and he will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Can we pray? Gracious Father, thank you so very much that you are the God who loves us, You've redeemed us in Jesus Christ. Lord, how we wish for our thoughts, for the eyes of our hearts and for our very wills to be just centered on Christ and who He is. We long to be shaped by Him in our jobs, in our vocations. In the messiness and complications of our lives we put our hope in him this morning father and we thank you for the fact that he is our shepherd that he stands in our midst that he is good that we can trust him and so in this moment we just surrender our lives lives that are going well lives that are questioning we surrender our questions We surrender to him and we entrust ourselves, our church, this family of God into his keeping for all things. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen. As you come to our prayers uh, of intercession and, and, and Thanksgiving, congregation in the city, um, I'm, sure all, I'm sure all of us have our own uh, stories um, that we remembered or just related to perhaps when we heard of the death this week of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, and in fact, for our own family, I don't share a lot about maybe personal stories up here, but I'll share this one. Uh, our own connection is that our oldest kid was born in England, and uh, we lived there for three years, and so have kind of a connection to that place and, and that country. But all of us may have different connections of a 70-year reign of uh, Queen Elizabeth. So we'll remember her, and uh, her family, and, and, and that event in our prayers, as well as we'll pray for mercy. Uh, we did I mention that already? I feel like I did. Pastor Bill is at mercy today, and uh, and they are becoming their own independent congregation. So thanks be to God for that church plant, for that new church development in that part of the city, for God's faithfulness and goodness there, and for how he is using that church to spread the gospel uh, in that part of the city. We'll pray for them. Uh, let us bow down. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we, we thank you and praise you this morning for your many gifts to us. Um, all that we have is In fact, because you've given it to us, even the energies of our hands that give us the effort we need to work, uh, the intellects of our minds that enable us to organize and uh, live in the world meaningfully and to earn and to have household economies, all of these things are because you have given them and we thank you and praise you, we acknowledge you that you are the source of all things. In you, we live and move and have our being indeed. And we come thanking you and praising you, Father. We also come remembering the needs and events of the world and just laying them before you in our own city as well. And we remember, just with thanksgiving, um, Queen Elizabeth today, um, the many years that she experienced on this earth. We thank you, Lord, for her reign so long, and steadfast. We thank you for the affection that she had for people. We thank you for her lifelong desire to serve other people. We thank you for her humility. Lord, we thank you for the resilience that she showed as a person and um, exemplified to others in times when she had extremely difficult years that were tumultuous we thank you that each year at christmas she would speak of her faith speak of jesus christ the desire to follow his way and his teachings and uh, we look at her long <laughs> reign in our lives lord seems so fickle a little bit and back and forth and we thank you lord for the hope of those who die in jesus christ who is the resurrection and the life and we, we thank you that those who die in Christ may rest from their labors and rejoice and be with the one that they worship, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, we, we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is our King, our eternal King. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is crowned not with gold and diamonds, but crowned with thorns. The one whose blood was shed that that he might give life to the world. Father, will you crown us with your love? May you find us as people that serve one another with humility and with joy, with steadiness. Father God, we also pray this morning for mercy. Church. Thank you for putting them where they are in the city. Thank you for Pastor Ian, for all of the leaders and elders and deacons and ministry people there doing different things, including outreach in the summertime to so many kids. And Lord, we ask your special blessing upon mercy. We thank you that how we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, that you are the God who is rich in mercy. And so we pray that indeed as mercy goes and grows, that your mercy, Lord God, might be manifest through that community of Christians in that part of the city. May many be drawn in and be transformed by the mercy of God in Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel and programming, reaching out um, through every ministry there. May the mercy of God be tasted and experienced in this city. Father, go with us into this week in the places in which you call us and have called us to serve. May you find us faithful. May we look to you for everything first. Set us on your way in all things for this we ask through jesus christ our savior amen uh, the offering today um is this month is through fam is for family outreach ontario and you may see on the screens behind me some information about that uh program and i hope you'll if you aren't familiar with it um Christian addiction support services. I hope you'll read more about it, find out more about it, recommend it to other people, and I hope you'll consider as well uh, this month if you're able, if you wish to give and to support that ministry, Family Outreach Ontario. Uh, and if you wish to give in that way, you can give to Deacons at BlessingsHamilton.ca. Please remember, you're not if this is your first or second time, you're a guest, you're not expected to uh, participate in that. We're just glad that you are. Here, and a little bit of a new thing uh, uh, this week is that we're going to have just a few moments now of uh, of meditation, some music, and uh, you can consider in which ways God is calling you to worship Him with your life, with your resources, with your time. Uh, You can even get out your phone if you want and and uh, make use of that opportunity. Uh, But we'll just have a few moments of uh, silent kind of some prayer, some considering. Um, how it is that God is calling us to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to him as we read in Romans chapter 12. Mm as you're able, I invite you to uh, stand for the benediction. And that may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
2: God bless.